Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, it's great to be with you all. Again, I know Michael said welcome to those of you online and joining us online as well. It's great to get the chance to share with you. Uh, Christmas is definitely approaching. Uh, It feels like now that we're in December, I know I drove through the town this evening and there was a whole big event getting ready, a parade. And uh, so it feels exciting. Uh, And so as we are approaching Christmas, that means we're in Advent. Advent meaning the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, And Advent meaning the word arrival. So Advent means arrival. And so we are getting ready to celebrate the arrival of Jesus. And as we, as we, Michael kicked it off last week, this particular uh, next couple weeks, we're going to be doing a series called The Crossroads of Christmas, where we're going to be looking at the Christmas narrative, the Christmas story. And we see in this story that the main characters of the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, uh, the Magi, also known as the wise men, and the shepherds are all, they all encounter something supernatural uh, of God, something of God in a profound way, whether it's through the, see the star, whether it's through angels, in whatever way. And if you're a newer Christian, or maybe you're checking out Christianity, you're not even sure, you know, kind of where you fit in that, it might be kind of a, still a fairly new story. You might Um, But if you've been around church for a while, it's probably a very familiar story. It's probably a story you've heard year after year after year after year. And uh, we can sometimes, when we've heard it so many times, we can get comfortable with it. We can feel so familiar with it that we forget that these were just people. These were just people going through their everyday lives, doing everyday things, when all of a sudden they come to a major intersection, a major crossroads of decision, a big decision, a big decision that is going to change their lives forever. And we forget that they could have said no. They could have said, I don't wanna be a part of that. I wanna keep going on the road that I'm going on. I don't wanna change directions. I wanna keep going down that path. Last weekend, Michael talked about Mary, how the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, and Mary could have said no. She could have said, you know what, Joey and I, we got this thing going on, and I just, maybe you should pick somebody else. Maybe you should pick somebody else uh, to carry the Son of God, right? Like, but she didn't say no. She said yes. She said yes to the invitation of God, even though, even though it was going to affect her in a negative way, and it was going to affect her reputation. And last weekend, that's what we talked about, was the Mary was at the crossroads of reputation. And Michael mentioned it that each of these coming weeks, we're going to look at four different crossroads of these different groups, and they all start with R. And so this weekend, we're going to look at her husband, Joseph, and how he was at the crossroads of reason, the crossroads of reason. So we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 today. And the verses will be on the screen here in a bit. But it's interesting that last week we looked at Luke the Gospel of Luke, and Luke focuses on Mary. She's the main character. Joseph is kind of barely in there. He's in there, but he's not the main focus. But Matthew does the exact opposite. Matthew's primary focus is on Joseph 
and Mary's kind of the minor character. So Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, uh, you can follow on the screens or in your Bible or on your phone. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We'll stop right there. So thanks to Michael last weekend and his talk about Mary, I had a couple dozen emails from parents wanting to know how to explain to them what a virgin is to their children. So this week, if you could email him and ask about consummating a marriage, that would be great. That would just, uh, that would be a nice Christmas present to me. Um, No, that's actually not true. I didn't have a lot of emails. But um, again, we see here in this story, like I mentioned earlier, that uh, Matthew focuses primarily on Joseph. Mary's in it, but he's talking to Joseph. Uh, about Joseph. And so what do we learn about Joseph in this passage? Well, it's a little bit confusing, I think, because in the text, it's not quite clear. Is Joseph Mary's husband or is he Mary's fiance? It seems to be like mixed language in there. Like if we go back to verse 18, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Well, that seems odd. How can that be? Are they pledged to be married? Are they, you know, are they engaged? Or are they already married? Like it talks about being a husband, and why would you need to divorce her if you aren't married yet? That seems confusing. Well, The reason why that's confusing is because we think in our minds in 21st century American marriage customs, and they were quite different than first century Jewish marriage customs. You know, in 21st century marriage customs, you can throw up that that next slide. Basically, it's in two parts, right? We have there's engagement and there's a wedding. That's kind of typical how we think about it. The engagement often in our culture is a kind of a private experience between the couple, right, where the one pops the question, right? There's an exchange of a ring maybe, and they, but it's not ceremonial, right? It's not, a, there's nothing official or legal about it. Um, that's when the couple, you know, takes that time to plan the wedding, uh, and it may last a couple months or a couple years, but if one decides, hey, I'm not quite sure about this anymore, they can walk away. There's no legal contract in that part. And then, of course, then there's the wedding, right? Where, and that's often very public in our culture, right? Family and friends are invited. Everybody comes. It tends to be very ceremonial. There's exchanging of rings, exchanging of vows, and there is a legal aspect to it where it makes it official, right? Well, 
In first century uh, Jewish marriage customs, there's actually, a, a, they're, they're, it's a little bit different. So there's actually kind of like three stages. Three stages. So the first, the engagement, the shadikin, I think, I don't know if that's, it sounds like the turducken. Wasn't that the people, Thanksgiving meal, right? The, uh, but this is different than our kind of, what we think of engagement. It's actually not so much between the groom-to-be and the bride-to-be, but more be- between the fathers of the groom-to-be and the father of the bride-to-be. And it was um, often even it could occur, especially for the girl, as when they were children. And this is where they would kind of negotiate maybe a bride price, but there was nothing legal about it. If one of the parties decided they didn't want to do it anymore, they could, they could back out. But then, and this is something that's a little different than our cultures, there was a betrothal uh, period or a betrothal event uh, where, and this was a very public ceremony with family and friends where the, the, the groom and the bride would come together um, and they would come under the hoopah, the hoopah or hoopah or however you pronounce it. It's like a marriage canopy, like kind of under, the, uh, under that. And they would be an exchanging of uh, gifts. Uh, the groom would often give a valuable gift like a ring and the bride price would be given and there would be prayers said and a cup of wine shared and, and really to seal their covenant vows. Um, and it was a legal covenant, a legal contract. Uh, so technically, in our, they, they were married at that point. But the husband and wife did not live together after that. They, were, they lived separately for about a whole nother year. So the groom would go back to, to his father's house. The bride would go back to her father's house. And they would live separate for almost a year, this betrothal period. And then finally, the third would be the wedding. They would come back again about a year later. It would be very public again, family, friends. And there would be this very celebratory processional where the, the, the father of the groom would give his blessing to his son. You can now go get your wife and you can bring her back uh, to, our, to our home. Because during that whole time period, that whole year of betrothal period, uh, the, the groom would be preparing a place in his father's house for his bride to live with him in. Sometimes it would be a whole nother addition to the home. You know, they lived very, you know, like um, intergenerationally together, very different than a lot of what we do today. But, but that whole betrothal period, the groom would be taking whatever time he had to prepare a place for his bride. And so then when the wedding would come, there would be more ceremony and more official things happening and finalizing of vows. Now, let's bring it back to Mary and Joseph, right? So, because why does this all matter? Well, Mary and Joseph would have been in this betrothal period, this year-long kind of stage of waiting. They were already technically legally married, and they would have gone through that first betrothal ceremony under the chuppah and, and, you know, made those vows to each other, but Mary would still have lived at home with her parents. And Joseph, when he wasn't doing carpentry work, would have been using his time to prepare a place for his bride to come and live with him in his father's house. And then Joseph gets this very disruptive news, right? Wait, 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 what? You're pregnant? Wait, how can that be? That, that, how can that be? That, that can't have happened yet. What a scandal that would have been. What a, what a crossroads of decision he was gonna have to make. You know, last week we talked about how there was a great cost to Mary, 
that it cost her her reputation, that Mary found herself in quite a tough spot. Uh, what we often I don't think about is the fact that Joseph, too, would have been in quite a difficult spot. It, and there was a great cost to him as well. Think about how he maybe initially would have felt in hearing that Mary was pregnant, right? Like humiliated, angry, maybe, confused, betrayed, lied to. Like, really, Mary? Really, that's going to be your excuse, right? That the Holy Spirit, right? Up in this, uh, until the angel appears to him, do you think he really would have believed her? I don't, and that seems pretty extreme, right? Uh, but, um, and then so to continue in the marriage process to Mary, basically he would have either been uh, putting himself as looking guilty, right? And looking shameful, like they jumped the gun a bit, uh, or that she had been unfaithful to him. And so, and he would have been taking on a lifetime of shame, a lifetime of guilt. It wouldn't have just been for Mary, it would have been for Joseph as well. And we learned last week in Deuteronomy 22, that Joseph, he could have taken some steps to preserve his honor. He could have made it very public that, that Mary was pregnant and that the child was not his. And then she could have been taken before the courts and could have been stoned to death. So we see here uh, in, in verses 19, though, that Joseph is at a crossroads. He's at a crossroads of reasoning what to do. On one hand, he wants to be faithful to the law, it said. He wants to be faithful to the law, but on the other hand, he cares about Mary. He cares about her, and he doesn't want to see harm come to her. So it says that, it says this, after considering this, after he considered all of this, after he thought about all this, after he logically kind of reasoned out, how do I do all this? He made a plan to divorce her quietly, trying to protect her, trying to kind of protect himself, trying to, you know, for his own plan for his life to not just completely implode Right? He's trying to figure that out. But then the angel comes, and the angel appears to him. And last week, we learned that the angel Gabriel had a message for Mary, and now he's got one for Joseph. And he, he appears to Joseph in a dream, and he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go through with this third final wedding stage. Don't be afraid to go get Mary and bring her home with you. She's telling the truth. Like, she's telling the truth. The baby is from the Holy Spirit, and, it, and he is going to grow up to be the Savior, the Messiah, the, the long-awaited one, right? And so what does Joseph say in response to the angel? What does Joseph say in response to the angel? Well, I think he said, could, could you speak that in Russian? I'm Russian Jew. Did we not learn that last week? If you were here, Michael made a joke about him being a, that's not true at all, not Russian. Uh, but what does he say? He says, nothing. He said, there's no record of him saying anything. In fact, there's no record of Joseph saying anything in the entire Bible. Did you know that? He's completely silent, at least, well, I'm sure he wasn't totally silent, but we just don't have a record of it. But, it, but uh, like the old axiom goes, sometimes actions speak louder than words. Sometimes actions speak louder than words, don't they? When, uh, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name 
Jesus. Now, there are two really important things happening in these two verses. One, Joseph's unwavering obedience to God to marry Mary. His, his unwavering obedience to not argue, to not debate, to not reason his way out of it, to not come up with some logical you know, plan. Instead, he wakes up and he does what the angel commands him to do. Now, we don't know if he woke up and went the next day or the next week, but there doesn't seem to be any indication that it was a long stretch of time in between where he's like kind of debating or trying to reason his way out. No, it seems like he went and was obedient very quickly. That's the first significant thing. The second significant thing is that Joseph gave Jesus his name, that he named him. You know, by taking Mary as his wife and then by naming Jesus, these two acts definitively made Joseph the father of Jesus, just as if he was his own biological son. And that's really important. That's really important that we we recognize that Joseph was seen in their culture as the father of Jesus completely. Uh, and not that we like just view him as this like father figure who's kind of around a little bit and kind of you know, paying the bills, but you know, just kind of helping out every once in a while, coming around and being a, a father-like figure. You know, Joseph was Jesus's father. And why that's so important is that's be- it's so important because now Jesus is in Joseph's lineage. Now, Jesus is in the line of Joseph, which means he's in the lineage of King David. King David. Did you notice that back in verse 20, it said this, and the angel referred to Joseph as the son of David. Now, that's interesting because we didn't read this verse, but in verse 16, it goes through all the history of who who all the family line is, and it says Joseph is the son of Jacob. That Jacob was the father of Joseph. Well, how could that be if they're both... Is his dad Jacob? Is his dad David? Well, what the angel is saying is that King David was Joseph's great-great-grandfather times like 27 or something like that. That Joseph is in the lineage of King David, which means Jesus is in the line of King David. And that's important because that means a whole bunch of prophecies about Jesus are going to come true. That Jesus is in the line of the King the king line, and will become the king of the Jews, the king of the world, really. Now here, Joseph is brought to the biggest crossroads of his life. Really, it it really is the crossroads of reason. You know, with what we know about him, which isn't a ton, Joseph seems to be kind of like a guy of reason, kind of a rule follower, uh, a planner, you could say. Any, Any rule followers or planners in the room? Anybody want to admit to that? Okay, we got a few. That's good, right? He's like... He's like, this is the right thing to do. This is what the law says, right? So he's going to try to figure out how to do that. He's kind of like a, this is step one. I'm going to do step one. This is step two. I'm going to do step two kind of a guy. And he's got this plan for his life. And he's faithfully walking down this road that he's on. And then something comes and messes it up. Actually, someone in this case comes and God comes and messes this up, right? God God comes along and messes up his plan. That he's, and he's trying to understand what to do in this crossroads and what, what's the right path forward. Has that, has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a plan in your life and then something comes along and messes it up, right? You know, it, it wasn't, maybe it's like Joseph and, a, and it involves a relationship, right? Maybe you're, you're like, it wasn't my plan for my relationship to end in divorce or to end in my spouse, 
passing away at a, a young age, right? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't my plan for my family uh, to raise my kids to know God. And then now as adults, they've walked away from a relationship. It wasn't my plan for my health that I would get cancer or diabetes or heart disease. It wasn't my plan for my career to get laid off at the end of it, at the end of my career when I got just a little bit of years left or I can't find a job right, that, that is, aligns with my field. You know, how, can, how can this make sense? What, can there, what good reason can there ever be for this? How can God turn this kind of stuff into something good? Any of that kind of stuff ever happened to you? Like, right, like you have things in your life that don't go well, right? Of course, that happens to all of us. Nobody's life goes according to their own plans perfectly. You know, in the moment of finding out Mary was pregnant, I wonder if Joseph thought, the plan of my life is over. Right? This, this is not my five-year plan, right? This is, this, how is this gonna work out for our good, right? But just like Joseph was torn about trying to debate, uh, should I be faithful to the law? Should I be faithful to Mary? In the end, he, he focused on, the answer was being faithful to God. The answer is always be faithful to God. And, and, and when, your, the light, when your plans in your life get messed up or look messy and you come to different crossroads and you're not sure what to do, right? How do, how do we respond to that? How do we respond in a way, well, we, we look for how to be faithful to God. We look for how do we trust him? How do we follow his lead? You know, I've never had an angel speak to me in a dream. I think that would be pretty amazing. It'd also be very terrifying. But uh, it's, that's never happened to me before. But I have had uh, some experiences that are, have been quite profound. And I, one, one experience um, was that really brought me to a crossroads in my career was when I felt like God called me to be a pastor. Uh, when I, and it was actually took place in this room. And I've told this story before, but when Ava, my oldest, was, she's 13 now, and she was like a baby, um, it was Easter Sunday. I was sitting in the back row right back there. Uh, well, I was standing, actually, it was during worship, and I was holding her. She was a cute little baby, cute chubby cheeks. And, uh, and I, I knew the song. We were singing worship, and I knew the song pretty well. And so I had my eyes closed and was just singing the words. And all of a sudden, I had this vision. I had this picture, which is kind of like an awake dream, right? A picture pop in my mind. And the picture wasn't that unusual. It was of Danny Meyer standing on this stage preaching. That's what it was. And Danny, if you know Danny, at that time, he was one of our founding pastors. He did, he did most of the preaching. So that was not an unusual thing to kind of picture in my brain. But what was unusual was what happened next. And what happened next was, all of a sudden, it wasn't Danny anymore. It was me standing on the stage preaching. And at the time, that might seem like no big deal to you now, as I'm obviously up here. But at the time, that was, I wasn't thinking about that at all. Like, I was a, a new young teacher. I had just finished college a couple years, you know, I was second year teaching. I just put all this time and energy and, you know, and money into getting my degree and becoming a teacher. I loved my students. I loved my job. And I thought, that is, that's an unusual picture. But in that moment, I also heard these amazing words that changed my life. And I heard these words very clearly get ready, I'm going to call you to do that someday. And I, 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 it was so clear as day, I literally turned around to see who was standing behind me because I thought somebody's messing with me, somebody's speaking in my ear. And we were in the back row, there was nobody there. 
And I was just like, God, is that, that's crazy. Like that seems, that, that makes no sense. Like I've, again, I've just been to, gone through all this schooling. I got this great job I like. I work like 180 days a year. I got summers off. Like I got a pension plan. Like I got all this, you want me to give all that up? That makes no sense. Now I work 300 plus days a year, right? I no, no, by weekends, by summer, like all that stuff. And it's like, how can that, how can that make sense? And thankfully, over time, God has slowly, it took me about nine years, but God slowly showed me, hey, the path I want you to go on might be a little messier than you might think. It might not be as straight as you might think. It might have some more crossroads in it than you might think, but it's, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be what I have for you. It's gonna be amazing. And so I, you know, I started taking classes online. I, uh, while I was still teaching, I started volunteering and serving. And I'm so thankful to, to those of you in this church who saw things in me, saw, the, saw me further down the road than I could see for myself even in that time. You know, I bet, I bet Joseph, I bet Joseph had a logical plan in his head. I bet he thought, I'm gonna marry Mary, okay? I'm gonna bring her into my home. I'm gonna become a father in the traditional sense. Right, I'm gonna raise you know, good Russian Jewish boys and girls, right? Uh, uh, and we're gonna live this typical like, life. Like I'm sure he had a typical kind of life planned out. But that's not the plan that God had for him. He, God did want Joseph to become a father, but, but not maybe at first initially in the traditional sense, in a different way. You know? And it wasn't just to any son, but to his son. His plan was for him to, to be the father of, of his son, of God's son, right? And it wasn't going to be easy. Uh, it, and it wasn't even, and Joseph probably wasn't even gonna see the end result. You know, we don't have, we, it's most likely that Joseph did not live to see Jesus uh, grow up and go through his ministry. There's no record of Joseph by that time in the Bible. Most scholars think that Joseph was probably had already passed on. So, so he made this decision, even, even though he was never going to see, you know, the results of it. He was obedient to the angel. He was obedient to God. Now, we can look at a story like this, and we can say, well, yeah, that, but that's extreme, right? That's, that's an extreme example. And you know what? I don't even always like telling my own story because I know it's extreme. And I, and, but I think, what about in the not-so-extreme things, even in the little things, right? In the little things, does God ever bring you to little crossroads, calling you to listen to him, even if you're unable to reason why, even if it doesn't always make sense? Do you trust God even in the little things, the day-to-day things that maybe, maybe don't change your whole world upside down, but, but, but maybe is he still calling you to be obedient to him, to trust that he knows what he's doing? You know, as we, as we are now in Advent and we prepare for Christmas, here, we are invited in this season. We are called in this season to refocus on Jesus, to choose Jesus, just like Joseph did. Just like Joseph, we need to trust God with the complex messiness of our lives, especially, especially in those areas of our lives that aren't going according to our plans right now. You know, can we lay down our own agendas and be obedient and trusting that he's working things out in the way that he wants to work things out, even if it costs us something, even if it costs us something. It costs giving up what, the way we think it should all go.
That like, that like Joseph, God might be wanting to use us in a way and lead us down a road that it might even be bigger or better uh, than we could even plan for ourselves. You know, we often think about how God chose Mary, and he very much did. We th- but we think oftentimes about Joseph as kind of like this tag along, just along for the ride, but that's not true. God chose Joseph just as much as he chose Mary. God knew that equally he had to find a couple, a man and a woman who would both say yes to him, who would both say yes to raising Jesus. And really, that's the, that's the only way that God could have done it, is the way that he did it. In hindsight, you know, first century Jewish marriage culture, it had to be a couple in this betrothal stage. It had to be. If it would have been before, if it would have been before Joseph had, you know, not, you know, then if he had not yet legally committed to, to marry, right, there would have been the risk of, of her being uh, not protected, ostracized, cast out in the society, right? If it would have happened after, if it would have happened after he had brought her into his home, then, then what would the evidence have been to prove the prophecy that the, the Savior would be born of a virgin, right? There would be no, no way to prove that. It had to be in this little window of time with a man like Joseph and a woman like Mary. God chose the perfect couple in the perfect time. So if the worship team wants to start to make their way back up here, I'll wrap up with this. Like Mary, God chose Joseph. And Joseph had to make a choice too. He had to make a choice too. He had to make a choice to go and bring Mary home or not. A choice that he had to make a choice to be willing to adjust his own plan for his life, even though it cost him, even though shame and guilt would have followed him for the rest of his life and been unfairly put on him, right? But he was obedient to God. He responded to the angel by preparing a place in his father's house for her. And then he went and he brought his bride home with him. And just like Joseph, his adopted son Jesus prophetically followed in his father Joseph's footsteps towards us. See, Jesus often referred to himself as the groom and us his bride. And he too was obedient to God the Father in heaven. And he too unfairly took on the guilt and the shame of our own shame and died for us. And just before he died, look at this. In John 14, verses two and three, he says this. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, many of you have heard this verse before, and it's a nice, it's a really nice verse, but doesn't it have a whole lot more meaning now when you understand a little bit more about the marriage customs in their culture? As Christians, we are Jesus' bride. We are in this betrothal period, just like Joseph and Mary were. Jesus is our groom, and he has committed and betrothed himself to us through his death and resurrection on the cross. He has paid the bride price for us. And now we are in this year of waiting, you could call it, this year of waiting. And he is currently now in heaven preparing a place for us in his father's house, preparing a room for us in his father's house. And someday soon, someday soon, he will come back 
for us, his bride, to take us to be with him, to take us to be with him, and everything will be made right, and everything will be made well. You know, this is our hope as we head towards Christmas. This is our hope, that as we celebrate the first advent, the first arrival of Jesus, because it's actually preparation for a second advent, a second arrival, when he will come back, and one day there will be a great celebratory processional to bring us home to heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.